coming out of Miami's business school and what I learned and really just the entrepreneurial spirit that I've helped so many people build their businesses and being part of like founding teams and, and early teams and companies that it was really, I was like, I need to do this before I'm too old. Hi guys, welcome back to Beyond High Street. Today we sit with Jeff Tenery, CEO and founder of Moonlighting. Jeff gives great insight and tips into the worlds of entrepreneurship, blockchain, and starting your own business, and why, how, and when you find time to do so while working with another startup. After 20 years in the mobile business marketplace, I love his perspective of the 41st hour in the week. When talking Miami, he cites a specific class and professor and real life experience. I'll let you listen to the pod to hear what that is. He shares some great tips for students. And of course, he is a Miami merger who covets cheese fries. Hope you guys enjoy the conversation with Jeff. I think his business moonlighting is spot on for a trend in the future. My wife was pregnant with uh, our number, our fifth child. So, you know, there's a lot of pressure. I was working at a startup company in Baltimore, uh, Millennial Media, that had really just closed its first round of financing and it was, it was shaky ground. So um, I was like, wow. I live in this small town in Charlottesville, Virginia, a small college town, University of Virginia. You know, what What happens if I lose my job? And, you know, I've been in mobile most of my career, you know, almost all my career, almost 30 years now. And I've wanted to say, listen, I need to build something that I can help people find jobs, including myself. And being able to do it from anywhere, you know, no matter what, what town you lived in, I wasn't going to move back to New York or D.C. at that time. Um, with the family needs. And so it became one of those things where it came up in my mind and I thought about it really it took me five years to, you know, pull it all together before I can, you know, to, you know, come up with the full plan of what, what the moonlighting app would look like and how it would behave and, and what it would disrupt. And so that's really what, what became uh, moonlighting back, you know, was thought of in 2008, but really took me five years to, to kind of piece it together. And, and how did you balance your time besides having a fifth kid on the way? But how did you balance your time of you have a startup, you're raising money, you are leading a business, but somewhere in another part of your brain, you have an idea of another business that may come to life at some point? Yeah, I mean, I, I think part of it is when you have five children, you learn how to juggle. So I'm a professional juggler by trade. So, um, and then I also, you know, I think being, you know, coming out of Miami's business school and what I learned and really just the entrepreneurial spirit that I've helped so many people build their businesses and being part of like founding teams and, and early teams and companies that it was really, I was like, I need to do this before I'm too old. And, and so I, I started my first company at age 46 with, you know, my wife pregnant with our fifth yeah, child in, in my mind, but I, it really took me really another couple of years to be able to put it all together. How much time back, if you think back then, Saturday mornings when maybe your mind's not on the day job, are you up at five in the morning before the, the four kids, before five are up and you've, you're cranking out two hours and starting to write that business plan for Moonlighting? Yeah. And I think part of it too is I think like most entrepreneurs, you see problems in your existing job, you know, in your existing role. So my, my role at Millennial Media was one, I was the senior vice president of business development and, and global monetization, which is just a fancy word for driving revenues. 
So I think if you're in a sales and marketing type of role, um, it's about performance, and we were performing really well. And I think I started to carve out time, but I also started to see things with, like, you know, moonlighting is this amalgamation and this like uh, this this pulling together of all these problems I'm seeing. At Millennial Media, we were working with some of the top mobile applications in the world, the Pandoras for music, the games like Words with Friends and Angry Birds and all sorts of things. So I was learning from and watching from all of these other applications that we were supporting and monetizing and you know helping them monetize their apps. So it really became one that my day job of what I was doing was kind of teaching and preparing me. And it's really kind of formed my opinion of what I wanted to do with Moonlighting. And what was the specific moment that you said, okay, we got to go live with Moonlighting now? Well, I was, I think when you are Moonlighting, me and my two co-founders, so uh, my two co-founders come out of Capital One and a heavy, you know, FinTech um, payments background. And I come out of a heavy mobile background. So we were meeting nights and weekends. We were, eating our own dog food we were moonlighting so i was still you know maintaining a very productive uh, contribution to millennial media and growing the business but at the same time um i started to create this new theory or this new point i started writing a book on it i've, I've got a lot of work to, to kind of finish it up but it's called the 41st hour and really that i started coming up with like you know the 41st hour of each work week should really be yours want to use it for personal or professional and i just started to invest that overtime you know that i was putting into the business i started to invest it into moonlighting and you've got a great backstory on shark tank was that for moonlighting or was that for a previous job no it was moonlighting it's an interesting uh, <laughs> i don't know um it was one of those where it was an almost shark tank appearance yeah we were you know, we were invited to be on and uh, i was about to walk on stage literally um, full makeup, full mic, mic'd up, ready to go. And as I was staring down the barrel at the at you know Mark Cuban and Lori Griner, um, the producers kind of stepped up. And what had happened just beforehand is the person that was pitching before us had a meltdown, and you know Mark Cuban had had gotten frustrated and actually cursed at the at the uh, contestant. And it ended up unraveling the set, and things got kind of went sideways, and they just canceled the session for the day. And it happened to be kind of the last session that they were doing digital products and so uh we missed out um they viewed us as being too big by the time we would have come on the next season and it was a yeah disappointment but a great experience yeah so is that a a blessing in disguise or do you look back and still say geez i wish i had the tv exposure and or a shark on board yeah, you know, having gone through that process there's a lot of uh nuance and a lot of uh areas where a lot of times the sharks don't even invest in there. It's more, you know, it's more production uh, than anything or, or more TV value. So I think certainly that would have helped a, a, an application like ours. We've got 700,000 people on the platform. I think we could have jumped that up, you know, a couple of couple of times on that. But no, I, no, no regrets. I think everything kind of leads you down a different path. We've, we've been able to participate and, you know, grow the revenues and do things that we otherwise that we maybe gotten on the tank might have taken us in a different direction. So uh, we no regrets. How long was the process from your first inquiry or application in Shark Tank to get to the moment where you were about to walk on stage? It was probably about three months. Oh, you know, door, door to door. So, yeah, it was pretty quick. Um, great group there. And, uh, you know, it was one of those great learning experiences. It's always great to be able to go through 
Um, you did a lot of pitching. You learned a lot about, you know, what you do as an entrepreneur to, to put your business in the most favorable light, but also uh, think on your feet and be ready for all sorts of uh, twists and turns. So uh, great experience. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have to imagine for a founder, an entrepreneur, it, it can only fine tune when the next time they need to go get money or their next B2B real big business opportunity. A lot of prep has to go into that. Amen. Yes, absolutely. So 700,000 users right now. Let's talk a second about Moonlighting and the purpose for it um, and where you see Moonlighting going next. Yeah, so Moonlighting was really kind of born out of, as I mentioned to you before, my fear of losing income and losing a job when the market crashed. So uh, Moonlighting is all about helping people make money and then be able to set up some sort of a secondary income um, that could potentially you know fall into full-time income because freelancing is becoming more and more popular so it's a mobile app that helps people get discovered very quickly and promoting your skills so it looks and feels a lot like linkedin but for freelancing and, and part-time uh, employment and project work and then on the flip side um, we we wanted to take all the attributes of uber um, that that people like to use to be able to quickly use their mobile phone to get something done and we created that, like basically LinkedIn meets Uber work experience. So your mobile phone is a really quick way for you to find people to hire to quick uh, to, for, for jobs or say, hey, listen, I'm in the market. I'm looking for income and I'm available. So um, kind of a mix between those two worlds. And, and maybe uh, I'm not sure if I read this correctly, but is, is Moonlighting both uh, an actual app where one can go onto Moonlighting and do the be the employer or the employee um, or someone needing service, but does it also power other businesses and it's a back-end tool too? Yeah, I guess in the sense of what we're doing with, uh, we have interesting news media partnerships with the top newspapers like the Chicago Tribune, the LA Times, the USA Today. So what we're doing is we're powering uh, basically a freelance classifieds for them mm. uh, in those newspaper publications, about 150 of those publications around the United States, all of those companies um, have not only partnered with us commercially, but they invested in Moonlighting. They love the idea of us being a 21st century version of uh, the classifieds. And, and I imagine a lot of people looking for jobs and or the freelancers and the new model of how people uh, work in 2018 fits back with the, almost the purpose of the pod and helping Miami students and, and kids that are 18 to 22. So go back to as a New York kid going to Oxford, Ohio and why and even back then, what were you thinking about life and business or were you like me and just excited to meet a lot of people and go uptown? <laughs> no, uh, I spent a lot of time uptown, but we, uh, you know, I, I was a definite, definite fish out of water. And I think Oxford and Miami kind of welcomed the East Coast kid uh, to, to the Midwest and experience fantastic. What drew me to Miami was clearly um, the business school. Um, and I wanted to study business and got a great uh, experience at Miami. And I think it definitely prepped me. I had one class, I think it was management 485, I forget, or 495, I forget the numbers, but it was the, Graham Irwin was my professor, and he was a fantastic teacher that, um, that class was the one that, you know, that he, he would do things to, to change things up and make it a real life experience of actually pitching and putting together a business. And we had worked with Black and Decker and put together a product that we were putting, you know, and I was in charge of the marketing side. And it was just one of those experiences that has definitely 
carried me in all of my business life. Uh, I've been in sales and marketing and, and executive positions at AT&T, Verizon, some of the largest companies. And really, my, my Miami education and that experience and, and that class prepped me very well for not only, you know, corporate world and success, but also getting prepared to to start my own business. Yeah, I think Miami, and I've gone back a bunch recently, is really working hard and doing a great job of turning theory and classroom work into real-life experiences. And I, I think it's so important, not just in the business school and entrepreneurship, but that can be, you can take that into a foreign language class or public speaking, history or anything, but giving kids the opportunities to see that practical use of it is, is really important. Yeah, I, I think so too. And, and when you think about our experience and now we're going back, you know, for me, it's almost uh, 28 years now that I'm, I'm out. Um, but it's really one of those things when I look back at the different classes that I took and how it actually applies very much so. And, and even back then, I think a lot of those classes were using very pragmatic, practical. We were working with uh, Procter & Gamble and Lots of lots of those uh, practices you see today in the business school. We're here in Charlottesville, Virginia, another great uh, school, University of Virginia. We've leveraged a lot of those students to come in and work with us as interns and, and testing our app in the early days. And so we've uh, there's there's really that spirit. And I think you know Miami. I'm sure I've heard great things about the entrepreneurial program there too. And, and talking about those students that you see locally in Charlottesville, what's that tip for? those kids in Oxford or elsewhere that have so many opportunities in the marketplace to what do they do when they're 20 or 21 in the summer or just via their phone every single day? Yeah. Um, I think what we've seen here, you know, in being so close to the university, we're literally about a stone's throw away is that the students that are looking to get outside the classroom, right. And get outside the campus and move into and take kind of a, a step forward um, I see more and more of that, and I think largely because the awareness that a mobile and technology give give to students, they they know that there's so much more out there and obviously available to them. So the students I see that are really excelling are the ones that, you know, they're joining um, the internship programs of, of companies like Moonlighting, or they're joining, a, we have a you know, few of the hack clubs here and hackathons called Hack Seville. Um, and there's all sorts of places where you can get involved in not just the academic, you know, school side of things, but as it's integrated and there are, you know, incubated companies that are in and around the universities, that's really where I see, you know, uh, the iLab that we have here in Virginia is a big one where there's a lot of great companies to where you can take a lot of what you're learning and, and apply it to real life. And when you wake up every morning in Charlottesville, what, what's that one thing that, that has that fire in the belly that makes you know or believe that Moonlighting is going to continue to thrive and crush it, as well as the one thing that when you're ready to go to bed that still always gives you pause of you know, the unknown of the future? You know, we, we made Moonlighting a mission-based company. We just celebrated our fourth year. We have always been about the idea of helping people, right? And I think if you... If you have that kind of service in your heart, whether, you know, whatever your beliefs are, um, we just love serving people. And, and I think people really like Moonlight. They feel it's not philanthropy, but it, it feels that way and it feels really good. Um, so that's what drives me. And then, you know, the fear part is like any entrepreneur is, you know, every day, every, like Moonlighting has been very treated very favorably by the media and by the press. If you look at Moonlighting and you'll, you'll see us in all sorts of publications, 
right? Everybody, like, I my friends come up to me like, oh, man, you must be huge. You must be, you know, we're big, but we're still kind of small and growing our, you know, we just started to charge people. One of those things, too, where we, we probably waited a little bit late uh, because we wanted that, we want people to be satisfied and happy and making money. And so I think the, fe- the fear part of it is one of those things where, like anything else, we're just, we haven't broken through completely yet and still, you know, What's on the surface always is different than what you see behind the scenes, and it's not always as glamorous. Yeah, and does technology? I mean, you you have a business that wasn't feasible ten years ago or fifteen years ago, uh, and something that wasn't feasible to something that now is perfect for the mobile advances and all of the past history and, and expertise you've gained over the twenty five plus years. Does technology and new technology upcoming make it feel easier? To uh, to make moonlighting grow or scarier because it allows for others um, other opportunities or different ways for people to do business. No, I think if anything, it, it definitely would be the the latter. Where I think it's uh, I'm sorry, the former. I should say is that you you really see mobile technology being leveraged in so many different ways um, to make the world better. Right? Like, look at the companies that's like been the most disruptive using mobile. But I also feel like there is a, a probably more of a greater concern, and I, you know, not to get too, um, you know, too like I've been in mobile my entire career. I climbed up the first, you know, cell towers in in New York back in the you know mid '80s when I was putting myself through school in Miami. But it was it was to me, I look at mobile as almost over overrunning things a bit, and it's kind of like texting and driving. It's what you know, young people on their phones and being obsessed with social media. Um, so I think there's a balance there, um, and I think mobile technology will continue to proliferate. I, I'm excited about what things like machine learning and AI are bringing to the table now. Um, blockchain is another area we've gotten involved into that I think is exciting. But I do, I do think a little bit like uh, too much social media is not not good either. Um, so as a little, you know, maybe it's the father and me of five uh, looking at it. I think. You know, mobile technologies is outstanding if used the right way, and it's a kind of. It also could be um, detrimental, I think, too, as well. Yeah, and, and so keep going there. Riff there on blockchain um, yep. and, and how you're using blockchain now. Yeah. So if you think about um, the Facebook breaches of lately and social media, Moonlighting has a lot of personal data that people provide. It's like we we have profile data. You know, what type of job you want to work on, your name, all that. So it's really important, in our opinion, um, to move this data onto the blockchain where it's, it's, it's less likely to be hacked, more secure. And that's really something that I think you'll see from any company that's, that's holding some level of personal information. Secondly, what we really like is that um, we don't like that Facebook and Google and other the big massive companies. They make money on your personal data. Um, we don't want to make money on your personal data. We feel like your data is your data. So as moonlighting grows and the gig economy grows, people don't want to sign up to 52 different places and all the different types of places that you might be able to get discovered for work. So we love the idea of not only having your profile on the blockchain more secure, but you can actually take it with you. It's yours. You own it. And you can use it to sign up even if it's competing other marketplaces that you want to do it. We, can, we feel, again, what's best for you as the customer and the user of Moonlighting is what's best, not whether I can control your data and keep it in a walled garden. And I think that's the model that you'll see changing dramatically. And while you know, you know, people want to say Facebook's going to get overrun with competition or Google and other, 
I think those guys are pretty big that, that they'll get their head around it. But I think data security and then data portability, your own personal data, is going to be what blockchain disrupts. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to change. Maybe, maybe Facebook and Google are going to have to pay you for your data. Um, opposed to keeping 100% of that advertising data, you know, re- revenue. So that, that's our that's our thinking on blockchain. Yeah, and now looking back, you've got a business. You've been in the business for 25 plus years. To the to the person that's going to be an entrepreneur for the first time, you said at 46 starting your own business, but there are some that are doing it at the age of I don't know 10, and some doing it at the age of 66. Give me yes. a, how about a couple tips that you know now that you wish you knew then that would have just made the ride a little easier? You know, I, I think that any entrepreneur would tell you that it's, there is no easy ride, right? And I think that's where people, like, people go to all sorts of lengths to find data out and, like, you know, there is no easy way to start a company. I think if you've done a couple companies and you go, oh, this was easier because you followed some blueprint, it's your blueprint. And that's why I think serial entrepreneurs um, obviously have such a big leg up because they kind of, like, it's their style. It's what they know and what they do. I think when you're first time entrepreneur, I would just, the tips I give people are: if you think it's hard, it's ten times harder. You know, make sure that if it, I you know try to bootstrap as much as you can before you start to accept money, because as you start to take in other people's money, the obligations grow. Um, I think the other piece too is get involved in something that you know and that's something you're very passionate about. But because you know that again is where the natural serendipity of finding that you know for me the serendipity was i was finding mobile uh, something that i felt felt very passionate about but is something that i knew a lot about which is mobile applications and mobile platforms so i think you know do what you know be be tenacious and resilient you have to have incredibly thick skin because nine out of ten people and 9.5 you know people that people told me i couldn't build moonlighting and they still tell me that i can't build moonlighting and it's just it's persistent and it's uh, until you you become maybe a publicly traded company or you you know people view you as being you know finally successful you're just going to have a a really challenging path to it so you just got to be tough resilient um try to do as much of of what you can on your own before you kind of you know bring other people in or maybe other people's money and those are just probably some of the things that 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 kind of uh hit home for me as a, as a first-time entrepreneur. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff gives a pretty interesting look at knowing when's the right time to start your own business. You don't have to be 21. You can be 31, 41, or 51. It's when the right opportunity presents itself, a trend you see coming, uh, and something that you can do to make a difference for success. And He's nailed that with Moonlighting. I can only see that business growing and growing in the future. Really appreciate him taking the time. Thanks, guys. Hope you have a good week. See you at Skippers.